0: you would to the gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 22 as we continue our verse by verse study through that gospel. Our text is Luke 22. It's verses 24 through 38. Our topic is waiting and waitering. The title of our message tips from your Waiter. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among the disciples as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him become as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For he who is greater he who sits at the table or he who serves is it not he who sits at the table yet I am among you as the one who serves but you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and the Lord said Simon Simon Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times. And he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. Nothing. And then he said to them but now he who has a money bag let him take it and likewise a knapsack and he who has no sword let him sell his garment and buy one for I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me and he was numbered with the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end so they said look Lord here are two swords and he said to them that's enough let's pray together father we do thank you for these words precious words that came from the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that everything you intend for us to see in them today would be revealed in our hearts in a spiritual way that we cannot even begin to understand or explain. Do a work here, Lord, that is supernatural, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Tipping is a way of expressing satisfaction for the service you've received. The following are suggested tip amounts for those of you who need a refresher. At a restaurant, 15% of the bill, 20% if it's a large party. If you're at a hotel, you should tip your maid $5 each night that you're there. Room service waiter, 15% of the bill. The bellman, $5 or $10 for delivering your luggage. If you ride a taxi, it's a 15% tip, never less than a quarter. At the airport, one or two dollars per bag to the Skycaps who carry your bags for you. Closer to home for pizza delivery, one or two dollars for a regular delivery, up to five dollars for larger deliveries or longer distances. Larger tips are left for those who provide extraordinary service. Smaller tips, or no tip at all, When service is poor, I knew someone who would express her dissatisfaction with service at a restaurant by leaving one penny at the bottom of a full glass of water. That's one of you, but anyway, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Actually, some of you avoid tipping at all costs. You you think I've lost my mind. You carry your own bags. You want to cook your own food at the restaurant, actually. But to avoid tipping... You prefer to think of tipping as a city in China. After all, people get paid for serving you. They don't deserve anything extra. You're happy when service is subpar because it justifies your being a cheapskate. And so really, you know, tipping is it's some of you are don't raise your hand. But if you're a waiter or a waitress, you know what I'm talking about. Although I just read a study, Cornell University has done a study that It's the amount of the bill that dictates the tip. It has really nothing to do with good or poor service. It does seem like that would make sense, but they did a study over a period of time, and and people don't even think much in terms of tipping anymore. It's kind of a lost art. And some of you think, you know, well, the only place I might tip is at a restaurant. These other places, I'm paying my way. But whether you tip or not, you recognize that there's a relationship between yourself and the person serving you. Jesus described the relationship when he commented, Who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? In our normal everyday way of thinking and relating to one another, it only seems obvious that the person seated is greater in some way than the person serving. But Jesus went on to point out, Yet I am among you as the one who serves. The Son of God, who was God in human flesh, was among his disciples as their servant. And since they were seated at a dinner and he was serving, we could say that Jesus was their waiter. Jesus was their waiter at the Last Supper, and he will be their waiter again in the future. In verse 30, he mentioned eating and drinking at a table in a future kingdom of God on earth. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, when talking to them about this same future feast, Jesus described himself and said that he would gird himself up and serve them. So he was serving them as their waiter at the Last Supper, and he said, there's a coming time when I will serve you again in the kingdom. If you want to know what Jesus was all about, you can think of him as your waiter. He said it, not me. This section of scripture contains tips from your waiter while you're waiting for the feast he promised to spread and to serve in the future. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, Jesus calls himself your waiter. And number two, Jesus calls upon you to wait. First of all, in verses 24 through 34, Jesus calls himself your waiter. The Jews believed that their Messiah would come and that he would immediately establish the promised kingdom of God on the earth. It's one reason why these disciples of Jesus did not understand his plain words to the contrary. He plainly told them that the kingdom of God would be delayed. He would die, be buried. He would rise from the dead and then ascend into heaven. At a future date, he would return in his second coming to establish the kingdom. Every time he said that, the disciples said, so is it right now that you're going to establish the kingdom? They continued to believe that the kingdom was at hand in spite of Jesus' teaching to the contrary. And so in verse 24, there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Now, we read this and we immediately think that it's just terrible, and it is, for for what it is, thinking that you're great. But remember, they thought the kingdom was at hand. They knew that they were Jesus' key men, hand-picked disciples. It was only natural to wonder about their cabinet positions in this new government. And by the way, what you believe affects how you live. If I believe Jesus could come for me in the rapture of the church at any moment, then I'm going to look at life differently than I, uh, if I believe I will remain on earth, for example, during the seven-year Great Tribulation. There are Christians who believe that they'll be here for the Great Tribulation. They believe it, but they don't believe it, if you know what I mean. Because if you believe that, if you read about the tribulation in the book of Revelation, and you honestly believe you're going to be here for that period of time, you're going to be building a bunker. All of your resources are going to be into bunkers and storing food and stuff. Uh, but instead, they just go around and say, hey, did you know that we're going to be here for the tribulation? Really? You better get busy doing something. Oh, no, it's just something I believe. And it's crazy. It's crazy. And so sometimes people believe things and don't really believe them. The disciples believed the kingdom was at hand. They didn't understand why it was going to be delayed. And they continued to think that whatever Jesus said, he just stressed. Just under a lot of stress right now because we're going to make him king and the kingdom is coming. And so let's figure out who's going to uh, be the treasurer and who's going to be the vice king and all of these kinds of things. And, And so that's what they were about. We believe that Jesus is going to rapture us at any moment, and then there'll be a tribulation, and then the kingdom will come. And to the extent that we really believe it, we do live in a manner that's pleasing to him, preparing for his return. Now, Jesus was patient with these guys, as he always is with us. And so he said to them in verse 25, guys, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. Now, what Jesus means is that often leaders force their will upon a people, and then they act as if the people love them by giving themselves these endearing names and writing their own history about it. He says in verse 26, It shouldn't be that way among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger And he who governs as he who serves. We would think Jesus would make a a comparison between the greatest and the least. But he makes a comparison between the greatest and the younger. Because in their culture, age was to be admired and honored. And, And so as you got older and grayer and all the other things that attend old age. People actually looked up to you and admired you and thought you had some wisdom and if you were a young person you you kept your place you should have an attitude Jesus says like someone younger by giving respect and honor to everyone and you should act as if you were their servant even if you are their leader this is all just the opposite of our natural way of doing things whether it's in business or in the military, or in the field of education, or just about anywhere in the world that isn't the church. But in the church, we need to check our attitudes at the door in God's household of faith, and we need to act as the lowest servant to everyone that we encounter in God's household. Verse 27, he says, For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Isn't it he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. If God in human flesh served others, then how much more should we? He says in verse 28, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me. Now Jesus called his life on earth as a man My trials It's a summary of his 33 and a half years on earth. Now, that doesn't mean that he was looking back on his life and feeling discouraged or depressed. When we talk about our trials, we we, we split our life into compartments and we say, well, I'm in a trial right now, meaning I don't like what's going on. I'm having to convince myself that it's good for me because that's what I read in the scripture. I would rather be over here in my blessing compartment of my life. But I'm not. And so if we read this, we tend to think that, oh, Jesus thought of his life as a trial. What a bummer for Jesus. Not at all. It's simply a reminder that although he was fully God, he was also fully human. And he was tried all the same ways you and I are tried. Hi, could you turn off your cell phone, please? Thank you. Anyway... So it's a it's a summary, it's a footnote for his life, my trials. These disciples had been with Jesus for the last three and a half years. For all their failures, they remained faithful, and the Lord would overlook their failures and bless them in the future when He returned to rule and reign over the earth. Okay, now that sounds great. I'll take the position of a low servant. Because it'll earn me a higher position. But that's really not what Jesus is saying either. Verse 30, he says, "...that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel." So, okay, Jesus, I'll serve now, and then I will eat and drink at your table, and I will be this great judge. Okay, that's true, but the emphasis is still on the Lord. Look at him in this verse. As I already told you, in the kingdom, at this feast... They would be at the table and Jesus would still be serving them. And it would be an example for them that they were to go on serving others. You've probably heard it said, suffer now and you'll reign later. Or you can't wear the crown until you've carried the cross. Those statements are accurate. As long as you keep them in the context that you will reign and wear a crown as a servant. There's never going to come a time in our Christian experience, whether now or in eternity, when we don't have the heart and the mindset, the worldview of a servant, because that is what Jesus was all about. Even now, we sometimes think that if I serve for a little while as a Christian, then I'll be elevated to a place in the church where I serve less and less rather than more and more. I'll get one of those really prime positions in the church whatever those are and 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 it's it's common we think that way and we we look at an org we look at the church sometimes not as an organism not as a living thing but as an organization and we borrow models from the world and all of those models are upside down as far as jesus is concerned they always put someone at the top who is only giving orders and not really doing anything not doing the bulk of the work And that might work at your business. It might work anywhere else, but it never works in the church of Jesus Christ because it doesn't represent who Jesus was. You should always be doing more, bowing lower and discovering a greater humility as a Christian. Jesus once said that he came to serve, not to be served apply that as the theme of your christian life it really is that is the theme of one of the themes of your christian life i've come to serve not to be served for example there's a lot of talk today in the world about uh... being seeker friendly churches so that so that people feel uh... you know like they fit into the church now we we don't want to go out of our way to kick people out that's just the opposite too but hear me for a minute Here's what we're producing. We're producing in people the understanding that they are looking for a church that meets all their needs and serves them well. And so they go around, they say, now this church, Calvary Chapel, whatever other church they might visit, how does this church serve me? How does it meet my needs? And if it's deficient in some area they don't have a particular ministry that i'm looking for some, then they're not serving me and so i have to find another group of people that is serving my needs now you you will never convince me that that's christian that that's a christian worldview instead all of us if you ever have the misfortune of having to leave calvary chapel of hanford you should go to a church that is the most needy church in that area and it will be a calvary but anyway no i'm just kidding I mean, think of it. You should. You should be going around saying, okay, I have needs, but where can I meet the needs of others? Where can I serve? Because as I serve others, I find that my real needs are met. Not my felt needs, not what I think I need, but what I really need at the level of of my spirit, where God can discern between my soul and my spirit. That's where my need is. And he's made me a servant so that I can fulfill that need. And so who can I serve? And so if everybody's looking to come and serve, and if the leadership says we are nothing more than table waiters, people who are willing to wash the feet of those who come and do whatever is necessary to truly minister to them, then you have a whole church full of servants And what you have is a picture, a reflection to the world of Jesus Christ. Because he said, guys, I came to serve, never to be served. And so that's what this is all about. The kingdom wasn't coming anytime soon. Things were about to radically change for Jesus' followers. Here's a fundamental thing to remember. Jesus came. He offered the kingdom of God on earth. John the Baptist kingdom of heaven is at hand jesus the kingdom of heaven is at hand he sends out his disciples the kingdom of heaven is at hand what happened the jewish religious authority said we don't want this kind of kingdom we don't want this kind of savior we don't want you as our king we want you dead we're going to have you killed guess what kingdom is on hold it's postponed as jesus ascends into heaven and will come a second time to establish it, and so the Lord has been talking about this for quite some time. His disciples—it's not so much that they're dense; they just don't understand. They—they thought about this their whole life: the kingdom, the kingdom. And then Jesus said, "The kingdom's at hand. Go tell people the kingdom's at hand." And then all of a sudden, he starts talking about how, "Hey guys, uh, you need to read Isaiah 53, where it says I'm going to be crucified." Whoa, whoa! I'm not listening to that. I'm not going to listen to this, you know. And they're just—I want to be the treasure in the kingdom. That's all I'm thinking about. And so things are about to change. And here's one big change. Verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The devil asked permission to attack Peter. And God said, sure, yeah. Go ahead, and he sets certain boundaries. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I like it in theory, but not in practice in my life. And then the Lord says to Peter, Simon, he says, the Satan, or not the Satan, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that he wouldn't be able to. No, Jesus says, I prayed for you that after he' sifted you." your faith won't fail. I mean this is heavy heavy suffering theology going on here. The devil's asking God to destroy Peter and he says you can do a little bit to him within these boundaries and Jesus, says, hey don't worry about it. I've prayed for you. It's going to get hard but you're going to come back. Wow. You don't hear this every day. Now, this is this is interesting. I was watching a guy on television the other day he's got a big mega church and, and he's probably a really neat guy don't get me wrong i'm just using this as an illustration which is why i'm not giving you his name so you don't know who it is but anyway and they were saying how come your church is so popular and he says because i have a positive message my message is so positive it's an uplifting message it's it's about what god is doing in your life and can do you know what god can do in your life he can give the devil permission to sift you as wheat and pray for you i think it's uplifting don't you Because it's going to happen anyway, and you might as well know about it and have it and and have the understanding that it's all under control rather than get some positive message. And then your life gets into some negative area. You figure out, man, I'm missing something here. No, no, not at all. You're right on track. Jesus had trials. We'll have them. They work for us. Jesus compared Peter's trial to the sifting of wheat. It involved the process of throwing, you know, having a sieve and throwing the wheat up into the air and shaking it and turning. it. It's kind of a violent process if you're a kernel of wheat. But what happens is all the chaff and garbage blows off until you finally have just the valuable kernel of wheat left. It's kind of like when when I roast my own coffee beans. The chaff, you know, and stuff. I love it. But anyway, and then I blow it off and there's that beautiful bean. But... Peter would seriously falter, but his faith would not fail. He would sin, but be restored. And afterwards, he'd be in a position to strengthen others in their trials. We should never presume to sin knowing that God is gracious to forgive us and restore us. But you will sin. And when you do, God is gracious and he does restore you. And he returns you to a place of serving others. Verse 33, but he said to him, Lord, I'm going to go with you even if it's to prison and death. And then he said, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you even know me. And so Peter's a little cocky here. Better to remain sheepish. (laughs) Oh No, all right. Somebody bring your cell phone right now, would you please? But anyway, now we'll see these words come sadly true a little later on in the chapter. See how much Jesus loved Peter. I I don't think I can really fully even enter into this. Here's Jesus. He had just been betrayed by by uh, Judas. He's about to be arrested in the garden. He's going to go to the cross, which is something he's going to pray that still can this Lord, can this pass from me, this suffering because it's so intense and in that last moment when you know some of you and and, and we don't even need to be touchy-feely all of us there's a time in your life when you think man if somebody would just stand with me if just one person the closest person to me would just stay with me just be there they don't have to say anything if they would just be there as a source of strength And, and Jesus looks at Peter and he in his foreknowledge he looks ahead and he sees Peter standing by the fire denying him three times cursing while he does it i don't know the man and he says peter i see all that and i prayed for you so that you'll be restored i don't know that kind of forgiveness i don't think i'm capable of it and i'm not except for the filling of god the holy spirit This is your Lord serving. you. He waited on them at the table. He washed their feet. And now he's serving them spiritually. saying, man, Peter, you are going to get so wiped out. You can't even imagine how bad this is going to be. You're going to want to die. This is the worst trial you could ever imagine. But I'm going to be there with you, even though you will deny me. And I will strengthen you. I don't know anything more hopeful than that. When we've sinned jesus has already prayed for us and he's ready to restore us jesus is your waiter not in the sense that you order him to do things or get whatever you want think of it more like this in between the last supper and this future feast, there's going to be a lot on your plate as we say you're going to get a few entrees served up by the devil the lord can serve you everything that's on his spiritual menu things like grace and mercy love and joy patient endurance those kinds of things are yours for the asking. If you ask the Lord for anything that He wants already to give you, He gives it to you and you receive it by faith. The trouble is, we want the trial to end, we want it to never begin. We want money, we want possessions, we want power and position, we want all of these things from the world. There's whole branches of Christianity that specialize in this. Talking about how you can have all the things that the world offers when all the while the Lord says you can have all the grace that's sufficient for your need. You can have all the mercy that you need, all the forgiveness that you need. And and keeping it in the language of of our restaurant, you can get free refills. He says he's go on refilling you with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. And you're going to need all that because Jesus calls upon you to wait. Verses 35 through 38. Don't you hate waiting to eat at a restaurant? If I go to a restaurant and the wait is 20 minutes, I'll drive 30 minutes to go someplace where there isn't a wait. There's just something about it. I think they're laughing at me. I see tables that aren't, you know, and I. down in San Bernardino there was a Marie Callender's, and, and it didn't matter if you were the only couple there. You had to wait. It was, it was just part of the ambiance. Maybe they wanted you to buy a pie or something. I don't know, but I went there all the time as a salesman, and we lived there. And I like Marie Calendars. I used to like it, not so much anymore, because they used to have a hot bacon dressing that was really good. Does anybody remember their hot bacon dressing? Yeah, one person. Who are you people? (laughs) And uh, I used to go there and have salads and have hot bacon dressing on it, which is delicious, by the way. I know it sounds gross, but it's good. And uh, I'd have to wait. uh, No matter what. I mean, there's always a way. And so I hate waiting. We despise it. But Jesus calls upon us to wait for him. The church has been waiting a couple thousand years for Jesus to rapture us. It can wear on us if we're not careful. And so the next few verses address some issues about waiting. Verse 35, he said to them, When I sent you out without money bag and knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. Jesus was looking back on the three and a half years of ministry that were now coming to an end. He had sent these guys out with nothing, and they had been miraculously provided for. Things were about to change. Verse 36, he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, a knapsack likewise. He who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which was written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. He quoted from Isaiah 53, a famous passage that accurately predicted the sufferings of the Savior. All the things written about Jesus' first coming to earth were about to be accomplished, and they were coming to an end. Now, very simply put, here's how you understand these verses. Jesus, in his first coming, as I mentioned, offering the kingdom of God on earth. He sends his disciples out as royal ambassadors to announce the coming of the kingdom they flash their credentials miracles signs and wonders and for the most part they are received and taken care of with jewish hospitality that's the mission that they had had now jesus says things are changing why are they changing i'm not going to be received as the king as the Messiah as the Savior I'm going to be given over to the Gentiles I'm going to be crucified I'll die and rise from the dead I'll ascend into heaven you're not going to be sent out the same way now you're going to be sent out a new way not so much as royal ambassadors that are going to be received you're going to be sent out as itinerant missionaries who are travelers and pilgrims and strangers on the earth preaching the gospel to Jew and Gentile alike and that is the cha- because the kingdom is now delayed. It's coming, but it's not imminent. My coming is imminent. I'm going to take the church home anytime. But the kingdom is being delayed, and so there's a big change. And so verse 36, he describes simply a traveler. If you were going on a trip, you'd need all of these items. It's an illustration. If you see it that way, you won't make the same mistake the disciples made in verse 38 where they said, Lord, here's two swords. And he said to them, it is enough now why did they say this they still thought the kingdom was coming and jesus mentioned a sword and they thought okay we have to do a little bit of fighting we've only got two swords is that going to be enough and jesus when he says to them it is enough it's a jewish expression that means enough of that no more of this kind of talk he doesn't mean that oh yeah two swords is enough he says i don't want to talk to you guys about this anymore you don't get it let's move on that's what he means Now, it's funny because scholars still misunderstand. You can't imagine all the commentary I read about the sword and whether it's allegorical, whether it's symbolic and all these issues of Christian pacifism and war. And, you know, and is this the basis for carrying concealed weapons? And I mean, it's weird the way I mean, you read that and Jesus wasn't talking about any of that. He was just telling them you used to be more like an ambassador. Now you're going to be a traveler. And so get into it. I do want to talk about pacifism and the use of force for just a moment Because that's what people think here Even though it's not being taught So let me just give you a general outline Pacifism is inconsistent Biblically with loving my neighbor as myself So a lot of people say Well Jesus was a pacifist Turn the other cheek, you know So what happens when Hitler invades Europe? Eh, Turn the other cheek, let him have it What happens when he invades the United States? Oh well, you know Praise the Lord. Pacifism is inconsistent with Jesus' command that you love your neighbor as yourself. Just from a common sense standpoint and a biblical standpoint, if I see my neighbor being beaten and killed, if I love him, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to go over there and help him, call the police. I'm going to do something. I'm not going to stand at my window and say, man, pacifism is tough. Look at what's happening in my neighborhood. And so it's just inconsistent. You can't really be a pacifist. As far as the use of force, God has definitely ordained human government and given government the power to use even deadly force when justified. However, the kingdom of God cannot be advanced by the use of worldly force. The kingdom of God is advanced by the weakness of the cross and the power of the foolishness of preaching. The weapons of this world must never be taken up by Christians. To advance Christianity. By the way, this particular word for sword in verse 36, it refers to a small dagger that every traveler carried for defense against robbers and wild animals. You understand that travel in those days was by foot or slow or on boats or whatever. And and, I mean, it was dangerous. There were robbers and wild animals. And so if you were a traveler, you'd pack a little knife. It would be if we were writing this today, we would say, hey, don't forget your Kershaw. Don't forget your Swiss Army knife. Don't forget your Leatherman. I need to tell you, I uh, I consider myself now a a Hanford native because I've been here 20 years. Uh, But I did live a significant portion of my life in Southern California and no one carries weapons down there like that. I mean, every guy I know practically here carries either a Leatherman or a Kershaw. That's that little knife, you know, that's in their pocket. And, and so wherever I am I, and I'm doing something, I can say, hey, Ken, you got your knife on you? And they, yeah, sure, you know, and almost any of you, you know, wherever you are, I don't have to carry weapons because you all have your... And guys, they come out with their Leathermans like crazy. Oh, I got the newest Leatherman. It's got 85 tools, you know, and stuff. And, uh... I finally bought one just to have one just to feel manly, but, uh, I don't know how to use it. I couldn't even open it the first time. I I think I'd practically cut my finger off, you know, but, but if this is all that Jesus is saying is that you, you're, you're, you're a traveler now. He's not telling you now guys go out and get a sword and, and use it. And, and so, you know, you just need to just kind of be careful. See, just like the disciples didn't understand Jesus' talk about the kingdom, we don't understand sometimes what Jesus is saying, because we think in our own terms. We think as Americans who carry concealed weapons and have the rights of the Constitution, and so when we read the word "sword," we say, "Oh yeah, yeah, Jesus says, "Carry your sword," or your AK-47." or whatever it would be. And that's a whole nother issue. That is not what Jesus is saying or not saying. He's just trying and that's why when the disciples say, "Here's two swords." He says, he says, guys, that's it, man. That's enough. And then in a little while, Peter, in kind of a, you know, he's, he's going to be a little bit groggy. He's going to try and kill a guy, and he cuts off the servant's ear. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, here I am about to be arrested. I've got to stop and heal this guy's ear, you know. And he does. He heals his ear and says, Peter, don't, don't be doing that. And so just keep this in context. Jesus calls upon you to wait it's an urgent kind of waiting because we believe the rapture could occur at any moment. The waiting is made more tolerable by what we learned in the earlier verses. Jesus is always waiting on you. And that means that every spiritual resource in heaven is available to you. If you're a Christian, you're to wait and it's to be both an attitude and an activity. Wait with the attitude that whatever life brings you, the Lord has already prayed for you. And then wait on others as their servant. You should always be serving more and more, bowing lower and lower. Not a believer this morning? God's long-suffering waits for you to get saved. But one day his long-suffering will come to its end. The church will be raptured, taken off this planet. The tribulation will begin. Don't wait to receive the lord do it today let's pray together father we do thank you for these things they're beautiful lord when we enter into the joy of them and put ourselves in a position like peter who uh lord and we've been there many many times there's times all of us have denied you there's there's a a thought lord that we should share something about you or reveal something about you tell others about you and we don't and and lord maybe it's not as as dramatic as actually denying you verbally but but we haven't spoken up for you and so Lord at some level we're all failures but you've prayed for us you saw those things Lord and you want to strengthen us so that we can continue to walk with you and be a blessing to others Lord I pray that you would drive out of our hearts and minds any thought of greatness that doesn't involve serving And that we would desire, if something needs to be done, that we would be the ones desiring to do it. Not to bring glory to ourselves or to meet some felt need that we have, but to do it because it needs to be done and a servant would bow and do it. Revolutionize our thinking, Lord. I think all of us believe in that and and believe that we're servants. We all want to serve you. I I pray that we would take it to the next level and, and actually do it, Lord. More and more and more as we're directed by your spirit. We would see ourselves as the younger in every situation, giving honor and blessing and grace to others. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that's not saved, not a Christian, they've never given their heart to you, I pray that they would have a sense from your spirit of the urgency of this moment in their lives. That you are knocking at the door of their heart, seeking to gain entrance, before your long suffering is over. May they turn to you, Lord, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. Let's stand together, please. We'll have some people up front to pray with you after the service. Maybe you're not a Christian you, or you're not sure. You don't even really have any idea about whether you've given your life to Jesus Christ in a real saving way. Come and talk to some of these folks and, and just share that. We're not asking you to join our church or anything like that. We, we, you need to know who Jesus Christ is. He, he came as, as God in human flesh to do something, and that is to die for the sins of the world and your sins in particular. You can die in your place or He can die in your place. If you die in your own place, you're going to have to be sent to hell after you die because it's not sufficient. If He dies in your place, the Lord sees you in Him and He will receive you into heaven. And that wonderful grace that uh, is, is coming from the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a Christian and you feel like you've been put on the shelf because of some sin in your life. Confess it. Repent from it. And then get back to work serving the Lord. Pray about how the Lord wants to use you, where you work, in your neighborhood, here in the church. And then humble yourself before the Lord and see the need and start meeting. May God bless and keep you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: He stood looking plainly, he to his knees, The God of the nations was washing my feet with blood.